Take your Bibles now and turn to the Old Testament, the first minor prophet, the prophet Hosea, just after Daniel, Hosea. Chapter 2, Hosea chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 1, Hosea chapter 2, verse 1. Let's hear the Lord's word. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruamah. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold... I will hedge up thy ways with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and none shall deliver her out of mine hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, and her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me, and I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers, and forgot me, saith the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfortably unto her, And I will give her her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shalt call me no more Bailey. 
For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beast of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth, and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. Please bow with me for a moment in prayer. Let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we return to the throne before we commence the preaching of the word. For the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Grant our God that it'll be a time when we're shut in with thyself. Our thoughts will not wander here and yon, but we will strive to listen, not only with the ear, but with the heart. We will be saying all along, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. We ask, Father, that we will walk away from the house of God tonight with a fresh awareness of how holy thou art, of how loved we are. And may that begin for us a week of rejoicing and of service and obedience. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. When Hosea penned this prophecy, the nation of Israel was enjoying a time of tremendous material prosperity. The land was full of corn and wine. There was no shortage of gold and silver. It seemed that this nation had all that it could ever hope for, that is, in this life. For while Israel was rich in material possessions, spiritually she was absolutely bankrupt. As, as church history has always proven when God's people have been blessed with times of wealth and prosperity on the temporal level, they have so often forgotten the Lord. They've just forgotten Him. Things have been going so well. Life going so smoothly. And in that 
time of smooth sailing. The Lord was just forgotten about. Other things became more important. Attention was taken off of the real needs. Israel was no exception. She failed to remember that all that she was enjoying by the way of material blessing was coming from the hand of the Lord. Remember, the Lord brings us out to her, you know. I'm going to return to my lovers. They, they've given me the corn, the wine, the oil. But God says in verse 8, She did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold. I gave it to her. And yet she took that gold and made gods and served Balaam. The very blessings I blessed her with became means for her to go into idolatry. The nation, once she forgot that, once she forgot the Lord, once she forgot that He was the source of every blessing she had ever enjoyed, it wasn't long before she went, what the scripture says, into her whoredoms. She went a whoring after the gods of the lands that surrounded her. The nation of Israel at this point in time, the nation had fallen into apostasy. They had fallen away from the Lord. And sadly, because of that apostasy that was prevalent, that was rampant in the land, many of those who were truly God's people, they weren't apostates because if you're truly a child of God, you are not going to apostatize. But they were nonetheless affected by the apostasy in the land, and they were uh, influenced in that way to seek after the same things that the ungodly around them were seeking after. But they were living in a, a backslidden condition. And that's what Hosea is all about. The whole book backslidden people. They had become so enamored with the lifestyle and the riches and the pleasures of apostate Israel. So while the day was one of health and wealth, you've heard that expression, while it was a day of health and wealth, it was one of great spiritual decay. And because of that, the time was at hand, God says, when the prosperity would end and poverty would begin. The Lord is going to judge sin. There's just no doubt about it. He's going to deal with it. Sooner or later... We make the mistake when we think that because a long time has passed, God doesn't care. But He does. And He's going to judge the sin of an apostate nation. And He's going to judge the sin of His people. He's going to deal with it. As I said, this message of Hosea is one of the coming judgment of the Lord upon the land. And although God's word for Israel, the apostate nation, was one of horrible judgment, there was still in it 
for the true believers in the land, there was still a word of hope. Hope. For while that nation as a whole was going to be condemned because of its rejection of God, because of its apostasy, God was not going to cast away His people. For the backslidden, this judgment of God was going to be a means of their restoration. The awful things that were going to happen was going to be the very thing that God was going to use to bring them out of their spiritual decadence, their decline, that they had fallen into. It was through this affliction in the Old Testament church that was going to be brought back to God. This fact is set before us in verse 14. Where Jehovah says, because she has forgotten me, therefore behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. In that verse and the verses that follow, it's God's plan for restoring his people who have, who have wandered away from what you read about in the Ephesian church, Revelation 2, they've wandered away from their first love. He's not chief. He's not primary. They've gotten away from that. They've fallen into idolatry. Now, that's God dealing with ancient Israel. But don't forget that the history of God's dealings with Israel but a picture of God's dealings with His church and with individual believers. While there are here in this chapter definite references to God's future dealings with Israel, don't miss the underlying truth that God is dealing with His people in any day. The ways of the Lord in the wilderness is what I want to say a few things about tonight before we come to the end of a Sabbath day. The ways of the Lord in the wilderness. I will allure her into the wilderness. I'll bring her there. God brings his people into a wilderness. First, God will, must, bring his people into the wilderness. You can bank on it. He will and he must bring his people into the wilderness. That word, therefore, in verse 14 is significant. It tells us why God is going to bring His people into the... Therefore, in light of what I've just said, I am going to bring them into the wilderness. There is a divine necessity, God is saying, a divine necessity that I bring my people into this wilderness. Two reasons you'll find in this section. Why must God bring them into a wilderness? Number one, because of their sin. There's an interesting parallel in my remarks a few moments ago in the introduction concerning Israel and the visible church of our own day. We live in a land of tremendous material prosperity. So much so that for quite a few years now, 
There has been a mentality of a health and wealth gospel. That's being promoted. And if you're really walking with God, you'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy. That's where we are. So, so prosperous is this country. Long, long ago, this nation forgot, as did Israel, who made it great. As it was in the nation of Israel, apostasy just is abounding in our country. It's the falling away, an abandonment. It's never been in this condition, ever, since its existence. Abandonment of God. So many professing Christians have a name that they're Christian, but by their actions they deny that they're Christians. Because of the wealth and the riches that are abounding, because of the apostasy and the spiritual degeneracy that is prevalent in this nation, the true church has been influenced by it. And you will not convince me otherwise when I say that the true church is living in a backslidden condition. The real people of God. For well over 30 years, I have read a whole lot of church history. A whole lot. For over 30 years, I have studied the scriptures. And there is not one doubt in my mind whatsoever that this land is not prospering spiritually. The church in this land is not in a time of great spiritual prosperity. Because if she was, brothers and sisters, she would be so salty. And she would be holding back the corruption that is spreading like wildfire. Too many of the Lord's people have become enamored with those things in life that will one day pass away into oblivion. That will go up in smoke. And when all is said and done, they mean nothing. Because of that, God has somehow been forgotten for all the talking, for all the preaching about God, for all the churches that populate city after city after city. Where's God in all of it? Where are the people? If we are in the midst of revival, if we're in the midst of great spiritual blessing, where are the lights that are shining so brightly, dispelling the darkness? 
where are the stands being taken, saying, here's the line, I'm drawing it. This, this, is, this is sin, this is worldliness, this is ungodliness, this displeases the Lord, when there seems to be more and more and more prevalence of trying to wash away the lines. Listen, folks, there's far more gray right now than there is black and white. And what our forefathers would have viewed as being reprehensible and an abomination are now being practiced and accepted. Accepted. It's all right. I know it's not a popular message, but I take comfort in knowing that Hosea's message wasn't popular either. When when Isaiah in chapter 58 of his prophecy, was commanded by God to sound the trumpet and show his people their transgressions, it wasn't popular. Because we don't want to hear about our sins. We want people to think we're okay. Everything's fine with my life. I'm good to go. I'm a good, steady Christian. And we're satisfied with the reputation that we're alive. But the Lord isn't. The Lord isn't. When Israel was... As she comes out of Egypt, you know, she sang the Lord. She, she sang. She was praising God, so thrilled. He, he was all her focus until she went off. And, and, and you know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting to me. The, the, let me put it like this. Where, where the Holy Ghost is at work, Christ will be conspicuous. The, the, the great work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest Christ. It is to reveal Him, who He is, and what He has done for His people. That, that's, that's the Holy Ghost. So he will be conspicuous. Jesus Christ will be conspicuous. His person and his work, all that flows from that person and that work, will be prominent. It won't just be tucked away here, a little bit here, a little bit there, and everything is spent upon the peripheries. No, Christ will be conspicuous. But you see, what we find is Christ is not conspicuous in the church. And Christ is not conspicuous in the home. And Christ is not conspicuous in the heart. Not the predominant thought and theme and teaching. So like, like Israel, this... This church in our day has, on a large scale, forgotten the God of the Bible. There's a love for earthly things that is inordinate. And there's a loss of the sight of God as the source of every 
blessing. It's the hymn writer, I imagine, that was going through his heart when he, he, he writes about uh, looking for satisfaction for his soul. I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters failed. And they even mocked me as I stooped to drink. But now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. None but Christ. But somehow that's been forgotten. When you forget that the Lord is the one who is the source of every ounce of happiness, every ounce of joy, every ounce of satisfaction that you will ever, 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 ever experience in heaven, once you forget that, you begin to look to creatures for those things. That's what Israel was doing. Her lovers, her nation, thought, I'm going to look to them for my corn and my wine and my oil, and we begin to depend upon those, and they'll never satisfy. We cleave to the creatures that have cleaving to the Lord. We hang our souls upon that which is so temporary. It's fleeting. Therefore, the Lord must bring his people into the wilderness. If they're going to be brought back to the place of blessing and spiritual power. You see, it's like there's this fear. And this is the point. There's this fear of the wilderness. A fear of it. And so I've got the corn, the wine, the oil, the gold, the silver, the land of plenty. Or I'm going to bring into a wilderness. But why the wilderness? This is, this is the language of Jehovah, what he's going to do to his people. Why bring them into this wilderness experience? The, the wilderness, obviously, in the first place, is, it's a place of barrenness. Barren. You see, the, the backslidden believer has sought to find some kind of happiness, some kind of joy, some kind of satisfaction and contentment in what the Bible calls vanity. Solomon went to great lengths. He tried everything there was under the sun. I gave my heart. He had all the money in the world, so to speak, at his disposal. He could build whatever he wanted to build. He could buy whatever he wanted to buy. He did it all. And at the end of the day, it's just vanity. It's empty. So the backslider, one of the clear marks of that is they're looking for satisfaction in the vanities of life. The life is being lived as if there is going to be found some kind of lasting pleasure in things or in people or in entertainment of some shape or form. We're going to find something that's really going to give me the thrill. And it never does. 
Can I share something with you? The only thing that has ever thrilled my soul is Jesus Christ. The only one who has ever thrilled my soul. I mean, that's the real, the soul. My, my heart thrilled my heart is Jesus Christ. A lot of things and situations and circumstances and experiences have been enjoyable, they've been fun, they've been entertaining, they've been interesting, they've been educational. But I have to say, it's when I have been alone with my Savior, with His Word before me, in the place of prayer, that I have known what it is to have Jesus thrill my soul. And that's how we were designed. God says, I alone satisfy. I'm the source of your contentment. I'm the source of your peace and joy. Go looking for it anywhere else and you will always be disappointed. Keep looking for it and you'll find yourself backslidden because you've forgotten me. And you put your focus upon the temporal. You spend all your time and effort and energy for that which is not going to do you one ounce of spiritual good. As a matter of fact, it's actually going to harm you. It's going to hurt. But God says, I'm going to lure, I'm going to allure my, my wandering bride into the desert. She's, she's, she's surrounded herself with all these things. <laughs> what a lesson. She has surrounded herself with all these things, her lovers, and all that they are offering her. But I'm going to bring her into a wilderness, and I'm going to take it all away from her. There's always going to be a desert between our sin and restoration with God when we backslid. There's always going to be a desert, a wilderness, between our sin and restoration of God. We got to be, we, we, we must be made to realize, not just to understand it, but to really be convinced of it. There's a lot of things that I understand that I know are true, but it's something else to be convinced of it in your soul where you embrace it. We, we have to be convinced that things don't really matter. They're just things. All that matters in life, Jimmy, all that matters in life is a healthy, ongoing relationship to Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. If, if we have that, it matters not what else we don't have. 
And the Lord's determined to teach us that. And he will take it all away. He'll bring us into a barren state where we are quite ready to embrace what he promises and to turn our backs upon whatever the world promises. The spiritual, the spiritual graces that, that were unmissed and unsought for during a, a time of backsliding in, in the midst of all the prosperity will only be missed and sought for in the wilderness. The Lord says, it's in the wilderness, then, then they'll ask me. Then they'll come seeking me. As long as life is smooth and they've got all these distractions and they think these things and these experiences are really going to, they're really worth their time and their energy and their money and their effort, you're going to find out it's all empty and it's going to be painful. But I'll do that to bring them back to me. Not only is the wilderness a place of barrenness, but it's a place of solitude. That's why God does it. I'll allure her, I'll bring her into the wilderness. Quite a number of years ago now, I was preaching in our church in Phoenix, Arizona. It was a week of meetings, and one day... The minister and I took the trip from Phoenix to the Grand Canyon. Drive two and a half, three hours, whatever it was, I don't remember, but it's a long drive through the desert. Mile after mile after mile after mile of barrenness. Absolute solitude. I suppose you could walk for days and never see a single soul. But that's just where the place the Lord must bring the backslider. You see, the wanderer from God has, he has his ears filled with the noise and the din of the world. And it's, it, 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 as you know, the world cries and clamors for our attention. It does it every day of our life. The time you get up, the time you go to bed, you are bombarded with the world clamoring for your attention. Listen to me, look at me, follow me. We hear it continually. You see, the problem is we began to listen to it, we began to look at it, we began to follow it. And then we start to decline. Happens every time. 
but God says he will do when he brings his people into the wilderness. I will speak comfortably unto her. Isn't that what it says? Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. If you have a marginal reading in your Bible, you will see it says, I will speak to her heart. I will speak to her heart. You see, God has got to hush the tumult of the world in the heart that he might bring his word to that heart with power. (laughs) He's got to do that. I don't know that the Lord's people often really appreciate the damage that is done when there is the intake of the world's noise and distractions. There's there's no way we're going to be immune to it. And say, it's not going to affect me. Oh, it's going to affect you, all right. Because of the, the clamor of the world, the backslider has grown deaf to the voice of Christ speaking through his word. They may attend church, and backsliders attend church. You've been there, and I've been there. They hear a sermon, but they don't hear the Lord's word to them. It's just a sermon. It doesn't get into their heart. It stays in their mind, perhaps, but it doesn't sink down into their heart where it lays hold of their wills and it actually brings about a change in how they live. It just becomes something that they do. Over the years, I have spoken to Christians who have wandered from God. And I've sought to bring the Lord's word to bear upon their need, upon their soul. And it's like you're talking to a wall. They don't even see it. Nothing penetrates. So you ask yourself, why, why, why don't they hear? And why don't they see? And it's so clear. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because they haven't been brought into the wilderness yet. So often you find the prophets talking to the wall when they were talking to God's people who were backslidden. But they have to be brought to a place where they feel this this utter desolation in their soul. Desolation, dearth, and the solitude of the wilderness prepares them. Okay, I am ready now, Lord, to hear whatever you have to say. And that's a great place to be. When you are at a point in life and it's bad and it's hard and it's dark and it's difficult, then it seems like we are so ready. Lord, just say anything to me, but don't be silent to me. Just speak to me. Speak to me from your word. 
Don't let me open the Bible again and get nothing from it. Don't let me go to church again and not hear a message from my own heart. You get there when you are brought into a wilderness. God says, it's there I'll speak to your heart. There you'll be ready. You're out pandering about in the world, seeking all of it. You're not going to listen to me. With the hush of the wilderness comes this solitude where you're alone with God. And no one else and nothing else matters. I say again, God must bring his people into the wilderness because of their sin before there will ever be a restoration of their souls. There's a second reason God brings us into the wilderness. Not only because of our sin, but because of his love. God is grieved by our wanderings. Grieved. And are we to assume that it is just our sin that is grieving the Lord who does hate sin? Is there not something else that is actually grieving the Lord by the backsliding of his people? Just think about a a little bit for a moment about... that account in Luke of of the prodigal son. What was it that caused that young man's father the most grief? What do you think? Was it the life of sin that he knew he would be living? Was it the squandering of his inheritance that caused him the most grief? Was it this riotous living in which no doubt the reports came back? Was that what so deeply affected him. No, it was the fact that his dearly beloved son had left him. He had left home. His presence was missed. He was longed for. What did the father say? This, my son, was lost and is found. He's home again. Kill the fatted calf. Bring the best robe. Put a ring on his fingers. Shoes on his feet. He was rejoicing because he was home again. Don't you see, folks, that 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 is God condescending to the backslider to tell him, here's how much I want you in my presence. Here's how much I actually love you. Yes, your sin grieves me. The thing that grieves me the most is that it takes you away from me. It takes you away from me. It takes you away from our fellowship. It takes you away from prayer. It takes you away from communion with me. It takes you away.
Verse 14 says, The Lord speaks comfortably to her heart. There's none who can speak so passionately and so powerfully to the heart of a backslider than God. My, you can talk to people till you're blue in the face who've lost out with God, who've grown cold and lukewarm. It doesn't have any impact on them, but when the Lord speaks to their heart, Now the Lord loves his people. I don't know why he so much desires our fellowship. I cannot comprehend that. But I, for one, am so glad that I have a Father in heaven who will bring me into a wilderness so he can speak to my heart. He will bring me into a place of barrenness and take everything away from me to get my attention. That has been put on other things and speak to my heart. That's the necessity. Quickly, God's ways are quite unique in the wilderness. He says, I will give her vineyards from thence. Vineyards. From a desert, really. From a desert. Of all the places to have a vineyard, the desert. And yet God says that he will turn this wilderness experience that he brought, has brought them into in a very fruitful, a fruit-bearing experience. The last thing that the backslider in the Wilderness thinks he will ever have again is a fruitful life. That's the last thing he imagines when he's sitting in that wilderness, barrenness, dryness. He doesn't believe that he's going to have a life that can be used of God again. But it's just there that that Believer who has lost out with the Lord, he's just lost out with God, will discover the blessings that come because he's actually in a place of affliction and barrenness. You see, it isn't until he is brought to that place that he's going to have a heart prepared to receive the word of the Lord. Because that's what's going to produce the fruitfulness. It's the reception of the truth. It's the embracing of the truth. It's the sowing of the seed. You know, you know, that's the, the parable of Christ, the four grounds, the four grounds that the seed was sown upon. One received it with understanding, and that brought forth much fruit. But when you're out there and you're, and you're uh, engaged in the whoredoms of the world, and you've forgotten the Lord, and your heart has just grown away from God. The, the, the word just sort of like water off a duck's back. You hear sermons, and you hear people saying things, this and that. It doesn't mean anything to you. But there in the wilderness, your heart is opened up to the word. And now the seed, the seed gets in. And it finds a lodging place. And that's when the fruit begins to reappear again. The peaceable fruit of righteousness 
doesn't come until there has been the chastening rod of the wilderness. Something else is unusual about God's ways with his people, his backslidden people in the wilderness. He says in verse 15 also that the valley of Achor will be given for a door of hope. What was the valley of Achor? Well, Achor was part of the passage into the land of Canaan, the land of blessing and victory. But where did that valley get its name? The valley of Achor. You'll find it in Joshua chapter 7. Remember that when Israel came into the land, Jericho was the first place, and there was a, the ban was put upon all the riches, the possessions in Jericho. Don't touch the gold, the garments, nothing. It's banned. But there was a guy called Achan. Achan. And he coveted the Babylonian's garment and the wedge of gold, hid them in his tent. Of course, you know the story. It was found out. And Joshua said, you've troubled, you've troubled Israel. And the Lord's going to trouble you. He and his family were stoned to death. That defeat with the men of Ai was turned into victory after the trouble was dealt with. So that word trouble is that word achor. The valley of trouble, it would read. I will give you the valley of trouble for a door of hope. Isn't God unique? A valley of trouble will become a door of hope. We don't think like that. We want to avoid the valley of trouble. The Lord says, I'm going to bring you into a valley of trouble. And right from the valley of trouble, I will open up that door of hope. You're going to have uh, vineyards in the wilderness. Just how was the valley of Achor a door of hope for Israel? Well, what did the valley of trouble do with Achan in Israel's day there at that turning point in their history? Well, it, it was the place where sin was purged from the camp. Sin was pur- They could not go forward. They were, God was telling, remember Joshua? Well, that's another sermon, isn't it? When the Lord said, stop praying about this. Just stop praying about it. There's sin in the camp. There's no point in you praying about this loss, this defeat, and crying to me. You got sin in the camp. You're going to deal with that. You, you get the sin dealt with, and we'll come, go back to praying again. They dealt with the sin. They stoned him and his family, put him to death. And the sin was purged, and then the blessing came. So, so you see, the Lord brings us into these awful places, hard places. We don't like the wilderness. We don't like the barrenness. We don't like the dryness. 
the solitude, the silence. Everything is taken from us. We don't like that. We don't like it. But the Lord says, I'm going to make that place a valley of trouble because there is where you're going to deal with your sin. You're going to put it away. It's come between us. And you will deal with it there. It's in the valley, you know, that sin that comes in between us and God will be revealed and forsaken. You have no idea how often the Lord has exposed sin to his people when he's brought them into a very low point. Because now they're ready to listen. They are ready to listen to the Lord. I thank the Lord, as much as I don't like them, I thank the Lord for valleys of trouble. They're painful. My flesh would rather stay a thousand miles away from them. But I have a God in heaven who loves my soul dearly. And he'll do whatever it takes. to have me in his presence. My time's away. The third and final thing, there are gracious blessings that result from our wilderness experiences. Last half of verse 15, and the Lord says, I'm going to bring her into the wilderness and the valley of Echo for a door of hope, and she shall sing there. <laughs> She's, note that word there. She shall sing there in the valley of trouble. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came out of the land of Egypt. Praise. You know, there's something about our singing that takes on a different spirit when we're singing from the valley of trouble when we're singing from the wilderness. Oh, I like to sing when the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and life is going well. But I tell you, there's a different spirit in the singing when you're singing from the valley of trouble. There'll be a deeper knowledge of God Verse 16, that day, saith the Lord, thou shalt call me Ishi, and shalt call me no more Bailey. That is, thou shalt say, my husband, and no longer say, my Lord. There's an intimacy there that's been brought about because of that. There is a deeper knowledge of God that has taken place because of that experience. Tell you something, the people of God have come to know the Lord, the Lord far, far more in the valley and the wilderness than they have in the bright sunshine of the mount. <laughs> as much as we hate them, as much as we want rid of them, the Lord says, You really learn 
the deep things about me in those valleys of trouble? You discover things about me that you would have never learned otherwise. Peace. I'll break the bow at the end of verse 18, the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down in safety. That's all about for them, peace in the land from all the enemies that surrounded them. But the the, the spiritual truth is the peace in the soul. Peace is a wonderful thing when you have it. The calmness, contentment, no anxieties, not worried, not stressed, you're uptight. That's the peace of God that passes all understanding. There's no peace to the wicked. There's no peace to the backslider. But here the Lord says, I'll bring you here and you're going to come out with peace. Then there'll be prayer. Verse 21, It shall come to pass in that day I will hear, saith the Lord. I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth. Wonderful poetry there. I will hear the heavens. You see, they were actually literally in a barren wilderness. There was a dearth going on. There were no crops. There was a a famine in the land, literally. But there's a spiritual reality here. The prayers of my people Heavens, earth, need rain. Rain's coming. God is saying here, the prayers of my people who have been restored in the valley, I will hear their cries once again. That's the Lord's ways with backsliders. I'm not suggesting tonight in preaching this text that I believe I've got a bunch of backsliders I'm dealing with. I don't know that. I don't know where you are. Know where I am. Don't know where you are. But surely there's some reason the Lord has this message. Surely there's a purpose. Maybe you're in a wilderness. Maybe you've been there for a long time. You've been dry in your soul for so long. Maybe you've found yourself in the valley of trouble. Well, this you can know the Lord has brought you there. And he's brought you there for your good. Not to hurt you, but to heal you. He's simply done it because he loves you. And if it draws you to him, it's well worth it. May God write his word on our hearts for his namesake. Let's bow in prayer. Let's seek him together. Father in heaven, 
We thank Thee for the Word of the Lord. We thank Thee, Father, that we have this book to guide our steps, to give us light upon the path. We thank Thee for Thy dealings with us, Lord, even when the dealings are painful, our souls are troubled. We know, Lord, it's always for our good. If any heart has wandered from Thee in our midst tonight, or even perhaps those who have listened by way of the webcast, Lord, smite them now, we pray. May they feel the power of thy word gripping them, and may they hear the voice of the Lord speaking to their heart, saying, return unto me. Return to your first love. Grant it, Lord, for thou wilt be glorified in that return, and that saint of thine will be blessed mightily. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.